Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. We need to talk about the toxic consequences of America's plastics boom. For a report, we turn to Zoe Carpenter. She's the nation's associate Washington editor. She worked previously for Rolling Stone. She's appeared on MSNBC, CNN, and other media outlets. Zoe Carpenter, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. We hear a lot about plastic in the ocean. We've heard about this giant swirling patch of plastics in the Pacific. What do we know about how much plastic waste ends up in the ocean? Well, in short, there is a lot of it. Only about 9% of plastic that's used ever gets recycled, and the rest of it either gets burned or buried uh, or washes into watersheds and eventually out into the ocean where it breaks down into tiny little particles and poisons wildlife and creates all sorts of problems. Uh, A mid-range estimate is about 8 million tons per year or one dump truck per minute of plastic is, is getting into the oceans every year. Well, I understand that Dow Chemical... ExxonMobil, Chevron Phillips, and other big plastic manufacturers have announced the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. They're going to spend $1 billion on recycling and cleanup. That sounds great. So is it time to thank them? (laughs) Um, Well, certainly. um, There is a lot of cleanup that's needed, and and everyone, uh, we should have all hands on deck for the cleanup. But if we only focus on cleanup, we're missing the biggest part of the picture here, which is the production of plastic and, and the fact that we're increasingly producing more and more plastic and there are no no plans for how to effectively prevent it from causing pollution. And so cleaning cleaning things up, obviously there's just so much plastic out there that you're never going to be able to clean all of it up, especially given the fact that these same companies that are loudly broadcasting their um, assistance for the cleanup efforts are now um, investing tens of billions of dollars into dramatically scaling up their plastics production in the United States and elsewhere. There are over 300 petrochemical projects underway or newly completed in the U.S. alone. And $65 billion to expand plastic production in the United States. So that's $1 billion to reduce plastics and $65 billion to produce more plastics. And that's just inside the United States. I thought plastic stuff came mostly from Asia. Well, we've heard that narrative repeated over and over, that that the plastic waste problem is because of developing countries and their inadequate waste infrastructure systems. There is a lot of plastic that's made in Asia, but it's also made in the Middle East, and increasingly it's being made right here in the U.S., and that is thanks to the fracking revolution, which has created a glut of raw material um, for the creation of plastic, specifically ethane gas, which can be turned into ethylene and then polyethylene. 
um, which is the building block for a wide range of plastic products from bottles to bags. Until I read your article in The Nation, I had only a vague idea of where plastics come from and, and who makes plastics. You mean that Exxon and Chevron make shrink wrap and hair clips and fake ferns and, I don't know, <laughs> spatulas? Sort of. They make the precursors for those uh, products. So when you drill an oil or a gas well, there are natural gas liquids that come along with the petroleum or the natural gas that you're getting out of that well. Um, And those natural gas liquids include ethane. And you can crack it, as they say in the industry, um, break apart the molecules using heat and pressure and reconfigure them to form plastic resin. So um, often that comes out as the form of little pellets, plastic pellets, like what you might find inside of a Beanie Baby. And those pellets can then be shipped off to other refineries or to other manufacturing facilities where it can be turned into a variety of plastic products. So Exxon, Shell, um, those companies are known as you know major integrated oil companies because they have both the sort of typical oil and gas um, operations that we normally associate with them, but then they also have these chemical divisions. And those chemical divisions, which includes the, the plastic manufacturing, are becoming an increasingly important source of their, of their business and of their profits. Cracking releases chemicals into the atmosphere, and it turns out these are really toxic chemicals, and people breathe them in places like Portland, Texas. It's a place that you went to. Tell us about Portland, Texas. Portland is just north of Corpus Christi, and it's sort of on the fringes of what has historically been a pretty heavy industrial area. But it's always been just slightly removed from that industry in Corpus Christi. And now ExxonMobil, in partnership with the Saudi Basic Industries Corporation, which is one of the largest um, petrochemical producers in the world, they're building what will be the largest ethane cracker in the world right next to Portland. But it's, you know, it's right outside the city limits, which is convenient because it means that the city council um, had no say over the permitting for it. It's on unincorporated county land. And residents there are really concerned about the health effects from this facility. Ethane crackers do emit um, all sorts of possible carcinogens um, and known carcinogens, sulfur dioxide, volatile organic compounds, um, and nitrogen oxides, which can combine to form ozone smog, and then carcinogens including benzene, formaldehyde, um, for example. So at low concentrations, these Facilities carry risks of eye and throat irritation and respiratory problems and headaches, for instance. And then at um, high concentrations, um, the risks are more serious damage to vital organs, the central nervous system, and, and cancer. And I think, you know, if you look at a place like southern Louisiana, the corridor in between Baton Rouge and uh, New Orleans, it's known as Cancer Alley, you can really see how that high concentration of petrochemical facilities plays out in terms of its effects on the local population. So where is the Environmental Protection Agency in all this? Shouldn't they be protecting the environment? Yeah, well, um, (laughs) I think we've seen a lot of inaction under the Trump administration. And a lot of these facilities actually are being permitted by state agencies. And so it's the state agencies um, that really have the most say over the establishment of these kinds of facilities. And in states like Texas and in Louisiana, where most of these facilities, these new plastics facilities are being proposed and being built, um, 
the state environmental agencies have a reputation for being very cozy with industry um, and for being uh, loath to uh, prevent the permitting process from, from going forward. Well, let's talk about the resistance to the petrochemical industry and the cancer threats it poses on the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coasts. Well, you know, the resistance is growing, uh, certainly in communities like Portland um, and in Louisiana's St. James Parish, which is a majority black community spanning the Mississippi River. And the, the issue here is that many of these decisions about the siting of these facilities and the beginning of the permitting process started before the communities were even really aware of what was going on. Um, in, in Texas, for example, in Portland, Texas, um, Exxon was starting, was going through the process of searching for the site with help from the governor's office before anyone in town even knew what was happening. They were using a code name for the project called Pro- Project Yosemite. So there, is, there are lots of concerns about the transparency in these big decisions that are being made. Many small towns that um, are greenlighting projects that will affect entire regions. I, I think a lot of people are, are starting to push more and more for the producers of plastic to take responsibility for the full cost of collecting and recycling the products that they're selling. And it's, this is a little bit analogous to climate change, which many of these same countries are, are, sorry, many of these same companies are implicated in. They're not asked to pay the externalities of the product that they're selling. And so how do we force them to actually pay for the full damage of what their products are, are doing to the environment? In the story of uh, petrochemicals, uh, petrochemical companies' uh, plastics production gets worse. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, Gulf Coast of Texas and, and Louisiana, but I learned from your article in The Nation that petrochemicals are being uh, described as the answer to the economic problems of Appalachia, that the coal mines closing have opened the door to a whole new uh, industry uh, in the former coal country, petrochemicals. Yeah, this is a really big development that I think has flown below the radar for the past couple of years. The Marcellus Shale, which runs under parts of Pennsylvania and Ohio, is one of the biggest fracking hotspots in the country. And so there's a lot of ethane coming out of the Marcellus Shale. Um, and so from an industry perspective, it's an obvious region in which to scale up plastic production since there's so much of the raw material right there. And so what they're talking about is a brand-new petrochemical corridor that will run down the upper Ohio River Valley. And from the industry's perspective, this is, you know, a bright new economic opportunity to replace some of what steel and coal has left behind. Um, But a lot of people look at what's happened in Louisiana and in Texas and say, hey, we don't want a brand-new cancer alley in the Ohio River Valley, and let's stop stop and think about what we're really doing here and how it's really going to deepen our investment in the fossil fuel economy and and is that really the way of the future? Uh, Many of the people, the local activists who are pushing back against this new petrochemical build-out are pointing to the example of their northern um, or their neighbor in New York, um, which has gone kind of the opposite direction and is putting a lot of investment into solar and other renewable infrastructure and and jobs. And um, so the people in some people in Pennsylvania are asking the question, is doubling down on fossil fuels really the only way to boost our economy, especially since that kind of reliance on the fossil fuel industry hasn't really paid off for us in the past? 
Zoe Carpenter, she wrote the cover story for The Nation on the toxic consequences of America's plastics boom. It's a major work of reporting on a crucial issue. You can read it at thenation.com. Zoe, thanks for this report, and thanks for talking with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.